0: It is good to see you this morning. Uh, My name is Andrew, if you don't know me. Uh, Pastor Corey is not here with us this week. He is um, up at High Point Camp speaking for the weekend uh, at one of their youth camps. And so uh, today we are, though, going to be continuing in a a series we started a couple weeks ago, and that is a series called Lonely. All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in into the next part of this conversation. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we can gather and talk and process this uh, important topic. Lord, I pray for wisdom as we enter into this conversation. I ask and pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you be with us and that you prepare us for this coming week. Lord, you are good. You are amazing. Your word is good. I pray and ask that your truth will reign inside of us. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen. All right. So like I said, we started a conversation a couple weeks ago called Lonely. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear those things, it would be important to hear those at some point because we're gonna picking up, kind of building off of the first two weeks of this series. Now, we chose this topic, Lonely. Uh, if you haven't been with us, you might think this is kind of a weird topic to kick off a new year with. Um, but we chose this topic because we've uh, just been looking around and seeing that loneliness is such a big part of our society. There's a lot of people struggling with loneliness, and in week one, that's kind of what we hit on. We, we talked about how we are a lonely nation. Pastor Corey shared some statistics, how uh, three in five people uh, claim that they are experiencing loneliness. And the study that Pastor Corey brought up came back in 2019, back before COVID hit, back before all of that happened. And the study said, hey, this is on the rise. And so this is something that's really big for our society, something that a lot of people are struggling with. And you might be here today and you might say, you know what, I'm not lonely. But we're we're also saying, you know, maybe you don't feel lonely. But our guess is there's probably part of you that would say, you know what, I wish I was known better or I wish people would see me for who I really am, and I wish I could know people for who they really are. We're trying to get at this idea of really having deep, intimate relationships, and my guess is most of us, if not all of us, have struggled with that at some point in life if, if we aren't currently struggling with that right now. So Pastor Corey laid that out in the first week that, hey, we are a lonely nation, but then the second week we, we looked at how we weren't designed for this. We were designed as human beings for community. God created us, and he designed us for community. And Pastor Corey talked about how God exists in community within himself. When we open up the pages of God's word, we see that we worship a triune God. We worship a trinity, a God who is, there's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. Just stop and think about that for a second. Maybe you've grown up in the church, and you've heard that before, uh, and it just kind of, it goes right over your head, you don't think about it much, or maybe you've never heard that before, you didn't grow up in the church, and you're kind of scratching your head. Let's all just pause and think, wow. At the center of all reality, at the center of your existence, there is a God who exists in perfect, loving community. Like, that's at the center of everything. We would not be here if it wasn't for this loving community that has always existed. Now, we don't fully comprehend how that works, um, but we take it by faith. We look at what Scripture says, and we recognize that he is a being far superior than we are. But out of his love and community, he created us, and he created us in his image. And we looked at that last week. And so if we bear his image, we are created and we're designed for community, just like he lives in perfect community. But also, uh, Jesus, after he came and he died and rose again and he left, he established the church. And he designed the church as a community of Jesus followers. And so not only have we been designed for community, but our God has said, look, I'm establishing this. You need to live in community together. And so loneliness is a big issue if we've been designed for and commissioned to live in community together. We've also talked about how loneliness, it's a gauge within us. It's kind of like hunger or thirst. You know, you, you get hungry, and so that's, a, that's a, a feeling that you have that, you know what, I need to eat something. Or you feel thirsty, and that's a physical reaction to, you know what, I need to drink something. And loneliness is similar, where it's this gauge going off in our heart or in our mind that says, you know what, I'm missing something. Something is wrong. And last week, Pastor Corey talked about how, you know, God created us for community, and we need it. But Satan wants to distort our community any way he can. And so... Uh, we should expect that pursuing community isn't going to be an easy thing. And today, that's what we're going to be processing. We're going to be talking some about why is community so hard, some of the obstacles to community, and then we're ultimately going to hone in on this one specific idea, kind of a key ingredient, a, a key thing that we have to pursue if we want deep intimacy with other people if we want to really scratch that loneliness itch this is the thing that we're going to need all right so that's where we're headed today but let's start why is community so hard Maybe think about your life, think about the different communities you're in, or maybe not the word community, you could just say relationships, because communities could be big things like this, or they could be smaller, just you and your neighbor, or just you and one other person. So uh, today, I might say community, I might say relationships, they're all kind of woven together. But why, are, why is community so hard? Why are relationships so hard? I think there's so many things we could bring up. Uh, there's three things, though, I just want to go through quick. If we could put those up on the screen. The first is uh, community can be hard when there's no common ground. When you are interacting with someone and there's no commonality between you and them, it can be kind of hard to have a relationship Think about all the different relationships you have. There's probably some where you just have an acquaintance with somebody, but it's easy to talk to them because they like the same sports teams you like. You see them wearing that, the jersey of the team you like, or you, you uh, see them going to a movie that you just watched, or you listen to similar music. And so you have something common, and it's easy to develop a relationship. It's harder to do that when you're talking to someone. You're like, you know what? They like all this dumb stuff. And I like all this stuff. It's hard to relate to them. The second thing is, when there's no deeper purpose, it's hard to have relationship. It's hard to have community. Oftentimes, people can kind of be forced into a relationship, forced into community, even if there's no similar interests or commonality, if there's something deeper, if there's a, a bigger cause they're trying to meet in the world. Maybe they see an issue in society, and so they rally together to try to fix that issue Or think about us as a church. There's a lot of people in here with a lot of different interests. And some of us wouldn't be connected if we didn't have the deeper purpose of following Jesus. Like that's just the way a lot of communities work. But then there's also sometimes dividing forces externally or internally. Sometimes there's cultural uh, pressures or different things going on in society that keep us apart. Or that forces us to say, you know what, I don't think I can talk to them. Or maybe there's internal things going on within you. Maybe there's a certain person that, you know, you're afraid to talk to them because of a past issue or there's something going on in your family or there's something more personal, more internal. And so it keeps you from having that relationship. There's all sorts of specific ways I think these things, and more, I'm sure you could think of other ways that community is difficult. But those are some of the obvious things. I want to hone in on some of the, uh, I think, more subtle ways that community can be difficult. Because sometimes I think real community, real community that gets at this loneliness issue, it's it sometimes can be masked by kinds of relationships that feel good and that are good, but they aren't the types of relationships that really get down deep and work on this loneliness issue. If you're you're not sure what I'm saying, I I think it'll become clear as I talk about it. Um, Because sometimes we have relationships that are just nice relationships, right? Sometimes we have relationships that are nice. And what I mean by that is, I'm sure you have communities that you enter into where you walk in and people are nice, people are kind, people are polite. Maybe it's someone at at work or maybe when you go to the store, you know, you have that cashier you always interact with or you go to your doctor's office and there's that person that's always there and you enter in and it's nice. Maybe you know their name, maybe, maybe you don't, but you're able to interact with them in a kind and a polite way. That's good. That's awesome. It's good that when our communities are nice, but nice communities don't really scratch that loneliness itch. Because sometimes our relationships are nice, but they just stay on the surface. It's easy to be polite and to just walk around and be kind to someone else and just kind of uh, do the, the right thing. But those types of relationships, it's so easy just to stay on the surface, just to talk about the weather or, hey, did you see the, the game last night or different things. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong to have relationships like this. It's not wrong to have communities that are just nice. We can't function if all of our communities were deeper than this. Sometimes it's okay to just stay on the surface. But if all of our relationships are on the surface, loneliness doesn't live on the surface. Loneliness lives deeper. And so if our communities are just nice, we could still be around people, be polite, be kind, but still feel lonely. Let's go a step deeper. Sometimes our relationships are, are transparent. And transparency is a good thing. Transparency is this idea of a window where you can see in and you can, you can see what's going on. There's this idea of you're able to look in and, and kind of understand at a deeper level what's going on in that person's life. You know, if a nice community just kind of stays on the surface, talks about the weather, talks about the game, a transparent community or relationship says, you know what, I'm going to be a little more real with you. I'm going to let you know that, you know what, last week was a pretty crummy week. You know, work was really hard, or this is happening in my family, or this, this thing. You know, there's, there's some level of transparency and authenticity. You're, you're a little more you in that level of relationship. And that's good. It's good to then take that deeper step of saying, you know, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to open the window and, and kind of let you see in and say, you know what? There's no more shutters here. You can see that this is going on in my heart. This is going on in my life. And you're transparent with it. Again, That's good. It's good to have relationships that aren't just nice, ones that get to transparency. And in our culture, if you kind of look around at our culture, people tend to really like it when, when people are themselves, when they're authentic, when they're transparent, when they're just, they kind of let you into the, the crap that's going on. Because let's be honest, we all got stuff going on. And so it's good to have those types of relationships. The issue though with transparency is this, that sometimes our relationships are transparent, but they have a look-only policy. What do I mean by that? You can let someone into your life a little bit. You can open up the shutters. They can look through the window. They can see, oh, life is hard. But that doesn't mean you need their help. That doesn't mean you're asking them to, hey, can I rely on you? You can say, you know what, I'm having a bad week and just leave it there. You know, it's, it's the difference between uh, a, a closed window and an open door. You know, a closed window says, hey, you can look in, but don't you dare come in. An open door says, hey, you're invited in. So there's these types of relationships where we start on the surface where they're just nice and polite, and that's good. And then there's these transparent relationships where we're a little more open, where where we open up the shutters and we say, hey, you can look on in. And while each is important and each is good and each helps scratch that loneliness itch a little bit, I think there's a deeper kind of relationship that we need if we're really, really, really going to try to get at this loneliness issue. And that type of relationship is a relationship of vulnerability. Vulnerability. Now, when you hear the word vulnerability, if you're like me, uh, that word kind of makes you go, you kind of bristle a little bit. And if it doesn't, let's look at the definition of vulnerability. This is what vulnerability is. It's openness or susceptibility to attack or harm. That doesn't sound good. Or another one is willingness to show emotion or to allow one's weaknesses to be seen or known. Willingness to risk being emotionally hurt. Vulnerability does not sound fun. Vulnerability isn't fun. Vulnerability sounds terrifying. Because like I said, if a transparent relationship is like, hey, I'm opening the shutters, you can look in, a vulnerable relationship is that open door, where now you're saying, hey, before I let you look in, now I'm going to let you actually come in. Now I'm actually going to trust you with what's going on in my life. Now I'm going to rely on you. Before, I just, you were just an observer. Now you're on my team. I need you. What happens when we trust people? What happens when we need other people? What happens when we rely on other people? We become vulnerable because with vulnerability comes risk. With vulnerability comes a susceptibility to pain. But I believe that vulnerability is really, really important if we're going to tackle this loneliness issue because vulnerability forces me to rely on someone else. You know, if you're still not sure about this whole idea of vulnerability versus transparency, kind of confused by it. The, th- this image came to my mind this week as I was processing it. Who's seen the movie National Treasure? Has anybody? All right, a bunch of people. Yeah, that came out a long time ago. But in the movie, if you're not familiar with it, there is a, they find out that there's a hidden treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. That would be crazy, all right? But in the movie, there is one. And the one guy's like, hey... He's going around, he's telling everybody, hey, we got to protect the Declaration of Independence because this other guy wants to steal it. And no one believes him. And so he finally gets the idea, you know what? I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence in order to protect the Declaration of Independence. And as you're watching the movie, uh, Nicolas Cage, he's the main actor in it, he's deciding, you know, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And his friend's like, dude, you can't do it. And then he lists all these reasons why he can't steal the Declaration of Independence. And he first starts, he says, you know what? It's on display. It's in front of all these people, and it's behind bulletproof glass, all right? So it's transparent. People can come visit it. They can see it. They know it's written on it. It's not a secret, but you can't touch it, all right? It's on display. It's behind bulletproof glass. There's all these sensors. There's all these cameras. It is secure. It's a look-only policy. But Nicholas Cage, he says, you know what? It's not always on display. Sometimes they take it like back into the vault where they clean it. And oh, and there's this party going on the night while they're cleaning it. And that's when we're going to be able to get to it because that's when it's most vulnerable. So it's this whole idea of vulnerability versus transparency. It's putting yourself in that situation where someone can move beyond just seeing what's going on in your life and where they can actually move in and kind of touch it and kind of be present in it and kind of help you with it. And you have to rely on, On them, and that is a scary thing. But when we rely on other people, it forces us to really know that other person and it forces us to be known by them. And that's why I think vulnerability is really, really important for this loneliness issue. Now, I can say all that. Let's go to God's Word. Let's look at some examples of vulnerability uh, relationships that have vulnerability. The first place we're going to go to is the relationship between Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Now, this verse, this happens before Genesis 3, which if you're familiar with the biblical story, in Genesis 3 is when humanity sins, where creation is plunged into death and decay, and we're separated from God. So this is back before sin enters the world. And God has just created Adam. He hasn't created Eve yet. And the world is good. It's very good, according to God. But then there's something wrong and that sounds weird, like how could something be wrong before humanity falls into sin? But God says, look, there's something that's not good. And he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. The man needs community. He needs someone. And he says, I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Now, that helper is Eve. Now, sometimes people hear this word helper, and th- this passage has, has been used and twisted in wrong ways, and they can see the word helper, and they can get this idea of, oh, well, it's man and woman, superiority, inferiority. That's not what God is saying at all. The Hebrew word for helper is the word ezer, all right? It's the word ezer. And if you go then through the rest of scripture, the person who is described most as an ezer, as a helper or someone who helps, is God himself. There's Deuteronomy 33, Psalm 70, Hosea 13, and plenty of other passages where you could go and people are describing God as a helper, And they're not saying, oh, God, you're inferior to me. No, they're saying, God, I need you. I rely on you. Help me. And so Genesis 2.18, God is saying, he's not saying, look, here's man. He needs a little helpmate. No, he's saying, here's man. He needs someone he can rely on. And she needs someone she can rely on. And again, if you rely on someone, you are vulnerable with them. You can be nice. You can be transparent. But you don't have to rely on someone unless you're vulnerable. And so right before sin enters into the world, God sets up this kind of relationship of, you know what? This is what a good human relationship looks like. Man, woman, relying on each other, needing one another, not lone wolfing it, not doing it by themselves, not one over the other, but together. Vulnerable and relying on each other. We can go through a bunch of other examples in God's word. Another great one, though, is the relationship of David and Jonathan, their friendship. And I encourage you, go to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. If you study their relationship, it is one of complete vulnerability, where they're nice to each other, they're also transparent with each other, but then they rely on one another. They get really deep. And Jonathan, he is the son of Saul, who is the king, he's the prince, and, and David is then promised by God that he's gonna be king one day. Like you get this, like could have very easily been this power struggle between them. Like it would make a lot of sense if we if we were David or Jonathan, be like, I don't want to be friends with them, they're my rival. But they together have this commonality and they have deeper purpose together, and then it drives them to vulnerability where David is relying on Jonathan, and Jonathan is relying on David. And they're completely vulnerable. We also see Jesus and his disciples. The night before Jesus is crucified, he has a meal with his disciples. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes his disciples with them. Now up until this point, he's told his disciples a number of times that I'm leaving you. I'm going to be killed All right? He's been open and transparent with them. When he takes them to the garden, he brings them there so that they could stay up with him and pray with him, pray for him, be there. He's relying on them. Now, they don't do a good job. They fall asleep. They fail. But Jesus, think about that. The God of the universe is like, stay up with me and pray for me. I need you. If Jesus is going to be vulnerable, what does that mean we should do? Like if the God of the universe is showing us he had to rely on other people or he chose to rely on other people, I think that instantly sets the precedent that we can't assume we can do this all by ourselves. We need other people. And a verse that captures this idea of vulnerability and I think sums up these kinds of relationships really well is uh, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, which says this, says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You might have heard this verse before, but uh, if you're not familiar with this whole idea of iron sharpening iron, it's the idea of like a knife getting sharpened. Now, I have a knife, all right? That's always a weird thing to say in front of people. I've never said that in front of anyone. That kind of felt a little weird. I do have a knife. Don't freak out. I told the safety team. They're all cool with it, all right? So I have a knife, and this is a honing rod. Now, if you're not familiar with one of these, maybe you've seen uh, used one of these. Uh, There's a lot of honing rods and different knife blocks. Or maybe you've uh, watched a movie and you see a chef, they're like whipping the knife around. I'm not going to do that, all right? Um, I'm not skilled enough to do that. Also, just kind of watching some videos online this week about it, people are like, yeah, don't do that. That's not good. Um, But the idea of this honing rod is that when you use a knife in the kitchen, what happens to it? Over time, it gets dull. The knife, it's supposed to be sharp, you're supposed to cut through things nice and smoothly, but over time it just wears down, that's what happens. And so you have to take the knife to a honing rod, and that helps restore the knife. Now, um, I didn't realize this, but the honing rod actually doesn't sharpen it. What you do uh, to sharpen it, you have to get like a whetstone, if you're familiar with that, or there's all sorts of different knife sharpeners. But when you're taking a knife and you're moving it across a whetstone, what's physically happening to this blade? The blade itself is actually getting manipulated. It's getting transformed. It's getting worn down. Like, think about that. As this blade, in order to make it useful, it has to kind of take a little damage. It has to be shaved down. In order for it to be a good knife, it needs to be vulnerable to the whetstone, vulnerable to the, trans- to the, to the transformation that can happen to it. A honing rod is used, though. If a knife gets dull, the, the, the metal on the knife will bend back, and then you use the honing rod to put the metal back in place. So again, this honing rod, as you sharpen this knife, or as you're honing it, the metal is getting put back into place. Now, li- just listen to this. Is that a pleasant sound? Maybe for some of you, like, yeah, I love it. It's awesome. But, like, put yourself in the knife's position. That's kind of a weird thought, but put yourself there. You are physically, as the knife, getting changed, getting transformed. You are being vulnerable to the process. If you're this knife, that's what's happening to you. I'm going to put it back before I get too excited with it and whip it around. Just think about what this verse is saying. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. In order to make a knife useful, the knife has to be transformed by the whetstone or transformed by the honing rod. It has to allow itself to be vulnerable and actually allow something else to manipulate it and change it. Like it's physically getting changed. In order for us as people to become sharpened, to become better, to become useful, we have to be vulnerable to the process of vulnerability and transparency, and we have to let other people sharpen us. It doesn't say, "Oh, as you sharpen yourself." No, it says, "As so a friend sharpens a friend." It's allowing someone else to be like the honing rod to say, "You know what? I'm going to help sharpen you. I'm going to help." change you i'm gonna speak into your life and it's probably gonna hurt but you need it to get sharpened i don't know about you but that sounds really painful that sounds risky especially in our culture where a lot there we get the message a lot that like hey you are self-sufficient in yourself you got all that you need or hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Be a man. Just be courageous. You're fine. Don't cry. You're good. Or like you like. There's all these messages that come up all the time that like it's okay to just be you. You don't need anyone else. There's almost this romanticized idea of like the lone wolf. Like you think about different movies where you have uh, like the the action hero who can do it all all by themselves. Like they're they're all self sufficient. And I don't know about you, I watch those movies, and I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. Like, I wish I could do that. Um, and then I'm like, no, I would not be able to do that. But there's this idea often that, you know, I'm good. I'm, I can sharpen myself. I don't need the honing rod. I don't need anyone else. And as God set it up with Adam and Eve, God was like, Adam, you can't do this by yourself, Adam. <laughs> You need Eve. You need a helper. You need someone to rely on. And I believe that we as people need to put ourselves in the sharpening process and allow ourselves to be vulnerable so that we can become who God wants us to be, so that we can become sharpened. And why does this help fight loneliness? Because it forces me to rely on someone else. When you're relying on someone else, You're instantly in deeper community with them because you're instantly sharing what's going on. You're instantly allowing their voice and their life and their influence to speak into you. You're instantly partnering with them. It's hard to be lonely when you're kind of arm-in-arm together. You don't have to be arm-in-arm in a nice community. You don't have to be arm-in-arm in a transparent community. But you have to be in a vulnerable one. Now, Please don't hear me say that being vulnerable is like the only ingredient to fixing loneliness. I think there's other things that go into it. But I believe that vulnerability is one of the hardest ingredients for us to add to this whole equation. And I believe it's one of the most important because I think we're really resistant to it because it's going to mean risk and potential pain. But the reward is worth it. It's worth entering into it. Now, also, don't hear me say, oh, the solution is I just have to be vulnerable with everybody. That's not a good idea, all right? Some people some people aren't good honing rods. Some people aren't worth allowing yourself to be put into the process of them sharpening you because they're just going to make you more dull, all right? It's good to have some relationships that are on the surface. It's good to have some that are tran- just transparent. But my guess is... And I'll I'll just look at myself. I know in my life, it's really hard to maintain those deeper, just really vulnerable relationships because it takes time, it takes effort, and it means risk and potential pain. But it's worth it because God created us for it and we need it. Now, some ways that I think we can sharpen each other. Just going to go to a couple passages to kind of see a couple examples of ways that I think we can be transparent and vulnerable and how we can sharpen each other. The first is Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 verses 1 to 3 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Now there's a lot here in this verse or in this passage, but the key idea is hey. As believers, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, he calls believers to in the the first verse, to go help restore people from their sin. He's saying, look around and believers. He says he doesn't say like overdo it or be mean and rude. About it. he says do it gently and humbly. But it's have the idea of hey, I'm going to look around and how can I help hone someone? How can I help sharpen them when I see in their life that hey, they are struggling with this sin or they're struggling in this relationship, how can I come alongside them and say, you know what, uh, let me sharpen you a little bit. Let me be there for you. I'm going to call this out in your life. In verse 2, he says, let's share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Sharing each other's burdens uh, doesn't just mean physical burdens, like, hey, I'm going to help you move, or hey, I'm going to be there when you have a kid. Like, those things are important, and those are good. But Paul says this in the context of believers calling each other out for their sin. And so this idea of carrying each other's burdens goes deeper to this idea of, hey, let's carry each other's spiritual burdens, the things that's going on in your heart. You need someone who can be there to help sharpen you, to help put you into that process, to be a honing rod for you. And not just for you, but then you get to turn around and be a honing rod for someone else. So one of the ways that we can sharpen each other is by having those kinds of relationships where I say, hey, I see this in your life. Let's work on this together. Hey, I see this sin issue. Let's be there for each other. I got your back. Let's work on this together. Hey, I'm going to call you out on this in love. Do you have anyone in your life who can call you out in love? Again, I'm not saying you should let everybody do this for you. That's not healthy. But you have at least a handful of people who you could say, you know what, if I'm doing something dumb, they're going to have my back. If I'm a knife that's getting dull, they're going to help sharpen me by saying, don't do that, that's wrong. If you don't have that, that's not good. We need people who can call us out and carry our sinful burdens, carry our spiritual burdens in love. On the flip side, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here, the author of Hebrews, he's not talking about calling out sin. Now he says, hey, let's motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Sometimes, sometimes we are getting sharpened, but we're a knife that's not being used in the way it should be. It doesn't matter how sharp this knife gets if it only stays in the knife block. It's still just it's just, a, just an item. It's not really a knife. then. It's only really a knife when it's used in the way it should be. And so sometimes we need people who are going to help sharpen us and make us more useful by, by saying, hey, I see this gift God has put into your life. Maybe you should use it here. Maybe you should use it there. This this is the sharpening not by calling out sin, but by helping to spur us on to point us back to Jesus to say, Hey, I see your life. Maybe you could live for Jesus this way. Do you have someone in your life who can encourage you, not just in the bad times, not just when things are rough, but someone who can kind of spur you on to more Christ likeness to, to maximize the potential God has put into your life? We need people like that too. And again, it doesn't have to be everybody. It shouldn't be everybody. But if you're sitting here today struggling, thinking of, hey, I don't know of anyone who could be this for me, then that's not a good thing. I believe that if we don't have people like this, we're going to have loneliness at some point. Maybe not all the time, but there's going to be a level of loneliness that's going to creep under the surface. Or maybe not loneliness, but this idea of, you know, I, you're, you're not known the way you should be known. You're not in the type of community God has created you and designed you for. So something is wrong. And so we need people who are going to be like this for us. Do you have anybody like that? I know I'm beating this over the head. But I think it's so important and it's so easy for us to come up with excuses not to pursue this. And that's what we're going to talk about here to kind of wrap up. We're going to ask the question... Um, What's going to hold us back from pursuing vulnerability? What's going to hold us back from entering into the process, from allowing ourselves to be sharpened? And we're going to go to one last passage, First Thessalonians chapter 5. In this verse... Kind of before we read it, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Thessalonians. And here in chapter 5, he's just giving them a bunch of, like, one-off things. Like, if you read it, it's like, he says this and this and this and this. And he's he's kind of wrapping up the letter. It's almost like he's like, oh, yeah, I need to tell them this. Oh, yeah, I need to, like, they got to learn this. And he's just kind of jamming it all into the end of the letter. And one thing he says here in verse 14 is, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily say this in regards to loneliness, but he doesn't say it in regard to anything specific. It's just a general kind of broad statement of, hey, as believers, these are things, uh, people we need to help. And so there's three groups here. There's lazy, there's timid, and there's weak. And I believe that this verse helps give us a good lens or a good framework For some of the ways that we can say, you know what? Things are going to hold us back from pursuing being vulnerable and experiencing relationships that are like honing rods in our life. The first one is lazy. He says, warn those who are lazy. Basically, lazy is, you know, I don't want to or I don't feel like it. Some of us in this room, and myself included, sometimes we just don't pursue things because we just don't feel like it. We know what we should do. We know that it's good. There's not. There may not even be a fear holding us back, but let's just be honest. We can be lazy people. We can come up with all sorts of excuses and say, you know what? I'm just too busy. I got too much going on at work. You know, it'll be easier next week. And we just come up with all these excuses and let's just call it what it is. That's laziness. Sometimes we're lazy. Other times it's true. There is a lot going on in life. Other times, like I'm not saying that There's never good reason to just pause and say, you know, I can't have a vulnerable conversation today. Like, I get it. But if we're in seasons where it's just over and over, excuse after excuse, there's probably some laziness in not pursuing this type of community. And perhaps there's loneliness in your life because of your own laziness. Because you're not willing to take the steps to say, you know what, I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to go spend time with these people. I'm going to go pursue this. Maybe you're here and that's not you, and that's totally fine, but maybe you're here and that is you. Or maybe it's not you right now, but there might be a temptation for this. I'll be honest, this isn't temptation for me. Or at the end of a busy day or during a busy time, it's so much easier to say, you know what, I'm just going to watch Netflix. Or I'm just going to be at home, and I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'll pursue relationship next time. It's really easy to do that. I'm introverted. I like, I like spending time alone i like on friday it was snowing and i didn't have to go anywhere and i could just stay at home by myself with my thoughts it was awesome but i know if i stay there too long my thoughts start to spiral and my my life starts to spiral and i start to feel lonely because i'm not seen and i'm not known the way god created me to be seen and known and so i can't let loneliness hold me back the next one is timid timid Paul says, encourage those who are timid. This is, you know, I'm afraid to pursue this because of something, and there's something maybe holding you back. You're hesitant for some reason. I think there's all sorts of things that can hold us back from pursuing vulnerability with other people. Maybe you've been vulnerable in the past, and you've been really hurt. My guess is if we went around this room, there'd be a bunch of stories about ways people have stabbed us in the back, Oh, I said this thing, or I shared this secret, and then it came out. I thought I could trust that person, and now I can't. That creates a lot of fear. Or maybe there's other reasons. Maybe there's uh, sin issues in your own life, and you're like, you know what? I'm afraid to share this because what if I'm judged, or what if I'm not understood, or what if it gets out, and they blast it to everybody? And so there's fear. There's all sorts of ways, I think, that we can be hesitant and afraid And I just want to encourage you, one, that it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have fear, especially if you've been hurt in the past. You know, fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear can help us be a little wise because maybe in the past you've been hurt because you trusted someone you shouldn't trust. And so that fear can help give you a sense of wisdom and say, you know what, I'm going to be better at who I trust in the future. But I'd encourage you, if this is you today, if there's something holding you back where you're like, I can be on the surface, I can be transparent, but I can't be vulnerable because of, and you fill in the blank. I want to encourage you. You need this in your life. It's worth the risk. Don't, don't do it flippantly. Don't just find anybody to be vulnerable with. Enter into a process of trying to find that right person. Do it wisely, but don't give up on this. It's so important and you need it. And it's a key ingredient to dealing with that loneliness issue in our hearts. The third one is weak. Paul says, take tender care of those who are weak. And this is just the idea of, you know what? I don't know how or I need help. It's okay to admit that you don't know how to do this. I'll be honest. It's so hard sometimes to know, like, how do I even pursue this type of relationship with someone else? Maybe you're here today, and you're like, you know, I'm not lazy. I want this, and I'm not really afraid of it. I just don't know how to do it. And just a couple things I'd say to you. One, like I've said before, just be wise in who you pursue. Second, start small. You don't have to uh, take someone out to lunch or go grab coffee with someone and then just dump everything, all right? Just start small. Just share one, be transparent about one thing, And move that one thing to vulnerability. Say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Can you help me with it? That moves from the transparent to the vulnerable. Hey, this is what's happening at home. What are your thoughts? How could I be a better husband? Or how how could I be a better wife? Or how could I follow Jesus in this situation? Just ask a simple question like that and see how they respond. And then go from there. And lastly, uh, just practice. It's going to take practice. This is a, a... something we have to learn how to do, especially because I believe as a society where a lot of people are lonely, a lot of people are are in this idea of, hey, I'm good all by myself. I just pursue my own individual wants, needs. I don't need anyone else. We're not trained to do this. So it's okay if it takes some practice, but practice, all right? So these are some things that I think are gonna hold us back. And I would encourage you today, this week, to really take this seriously. Like I've said before, uh, vulnerability, I don't think it's it's like a magic bullet. It's not like, oh, if you just have one vulnerable moment, all your loneliness will go away. No, I think, though, that it is a key part of the way God designed us to live, to have relationships that can be like a honing rod, especially in a sinful, fallen world where, let's be honest, we all get pretty dull at times. We're like that knife. We get used, and then we get dull. And if we're not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, to enter into the process of being sharpened by other people, then we're just going to stay dull. And that's not good. Now, sometimes uh, I'd encourage you, don't enter into this thinking, you know what, if I have one vulnerable moment, this will fix everything. You know, tonight I'm going to, well, when I go home, I'm hungry. When I go home, I'm going to eat lunch. But then tonight, I'm going to want to eat dinner because I'm going to get hungry again. You know, I'm getting thirsty, I'm going to want to take a drink, but then later tonight, I'm going to take another one. We've talked about how loneliness is a gauge like hunger or thirst. Um, You're going to eat today, you're going to take a drink, but you're going to get hungry again, you're going to get thirsty again. Don't think, oh, if I have one heart-to-heart this week, everything will be fixed. No, it might be fixed for a little bit, but loneliness is that gauge of saying, hey, you need transparency and vulnerability you need deeper relationship and so don't just think hey a one-off is going to fix this no think about how can i actually find a relationship that is ongoing that can help with this all right the very last thing i'll say um is if you're not sure where to start this is where you should start you should start with vertical vulnerability If this whole idea of being transparent is scary, and it's okay that it's scary, or if it's confusing, or you're not sure why you should pursue it, first start vertically with your relationship with God. Sometimes going horizontally to other people can be really challenging. But as Jesus followers, we should be vulnerable with our Heavenly Father. And maybe you're here today, and you've just been kind of cruising through life, and you haven't had a heart-to-heart with the God of the universe and I'll just say, one, he already knows what's going on. So we don't have to be afraid of him finding anything out that's going on because he already knows. But we see within God's word that our God wants personal relationship with us. He wants us to come before him. He wants us to confess our sins. He wants us to be honest about the pain. He wants us to be sharpened by him. And so if you're not willing to start with the horizontal For vulnerability, at least start here. Start with maybe saying something like this: "Lord, I recognize that I'm not known by others the way I wish I was." Or, "Lord, I'm experiencing loneliness. You created me to to be in community, but I just I don't know how. I need help, Lord. I'm struggling. I'm hesitant because of this thing that happened in the past, or whatever it is for you. I don't know what it is, but." Let's talk to our Heavenly Father, all right? So next week, I'd encourage you to come back. That's going to be part four of our conversation. Each week is kind of building off of each other. Next week, Pastor Corey is going to focus more in some of the how do we do this, all right? Some of the practicalness of it. But I really hope that over the course of these weeks that you see, like, one, we are a lonely nation. Two, we need community. And three, that part of that means we need to be vulnerable. We need to be open. We need to be honest. We need to humble ourselves and find people who can be honing rods for us. Who is your honing rod and who can you be a honing rod for? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we get to gather and that we get to enter into community together. Lord, I pray that you will help us to not just live on the surface, Thank you that we can have nice, kind, polite relationships. But help us to move beyond that, to have transparent ones. But then even more so, help us to humble ourselves and to allow others to speak into our life. Lord Jesus, if you needed other people, if you relied on your disciples, Lord, how can we dare think that we can do this all by ourselves? Lord, we... Are nothing without you. And I don't know why, but you designed us to rely on other people. So please, Lord, I, I pray for myself. Help me to get over me and help me to realize my need for other people. And help us all to do the same, to not let ourselves get in the way of our own sharpening. God, you have so much you want to do in us and through us. You want us to use us to, to impact the world for your kingdom. And sometimes I know I'm not a sharp knife. I'm not useful because I haven't been sharpened. And so I pray and ask that you will allow us the courage, the wisdom, the patience to enter into this process, to find community of vulnerability, to be sharpened and to be used by you for your good, for your glory, and for our benefit. Amen.